Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Romans chapter 12. Hallelujah. Um, you know, if you haven't listened to Grant's message last Sunday, um, I would encourage you to do that. Um, it's a powerful word. And uh, I was out of town. <clears throat> I was ministering down in Houston, Texas. We had an awesome meeting. I would consider them to be a sister church to us. But uh, I listened to the message that Grant preached twice, and um, it, it's powerful. And so if you haven't listened to it, listen to it. And if you have listened to it, listen to it again. Because the thing about it is, is how um, I many you know at the end of the day, we all, we want, we want transformation. And uh, we, want, um, we want to to look more like Jesus. And that's going to, I'm not saying that our personalities change. I'm not saying that we all have to act the same or talk the same or wear the same clothes. No, we all have our individuality. Logan and I have been talking about that in our midweek on Thursday night. <clears throat> but there is, um, there is a transformation that God wants to bring into your life that's going to make your life better. I mean, you know, when, when you, you know, I, I've been in the process of this transformation for about 23 years and when I first got saved, man, uh, you know, I got born again. I was a child of God. I was right with God, but I still thought the same way. And uh, I mean, you know, a lot of the challenges that we face are because we still think like the person that we used to be. And God wants to, to change the way you think, change the way you see yourself so that your life can be better. And so that not only that, you can make the lives of those around you better as well. Uh, because the, the end goal here is love coming to you and love going through you. Amen. That's what God has called us to. He wants us to, uh, to receive His love, number one, then give His love back to Him, and then give His love to each other. And when we're doing that, our life is good. And so it's, it's a transformation process, and a big part of learning how to genuinely be transformed is not just getting a bunch of information in your head. Like, the goal of church is not to be good at Bible trivia. You know, the goal of church is not to just get a bunch of information. What we want to do is we want to take these things and write them on your heart. When your heart changes and you get truth in your heart, then it changes the way you see yourself. It changes the way you see the world around you. It's going to change your behavior. It's going to change everything about you. But until it gets on a heart level, um, a lot of times we have a, an understanding and an information about the things of God, but we're not actually experiencing it. And everybody in here, have, we've all had broken hearts, right? Everybody in here, your heart's been broken multiple times. You, you've had to deal with rejection and things like that. It's just a part of being on earth. And how many of you know we have a God who's a healer of broken hearts? And, and one of the ways that he, he heals your heart is some of the stuff that Grant was... I'm cold now. I'm sorry. I'm a diva. Uh, I'm just, I'm trying to like, should I say something? Nah, I'm going to go ahead. Amen. I'll, I'll complain later too, I'm sure. Amen. Thank God for the people in the back that love me. Amen. But um, when Grant was talking about just going into a prayerful, meditative state about truth, that is something that we all want to bring into our personal lives to where you can begin to take the truths of God's word and write them on your heart. And it's a powerful thing. And I want to bring that into the culture of our church. I really do. I don't want that to just be a one-time event. I want us to learn how to do that. I mean, it's what Adam was doing when Adam earlier was talking about you, uh, you know, visualizing Jesus sitting next to you and then thinking about the presence of Jesus. You, it's so important to activate not just your mind, but your, but your heart and the way that you see things. Um, these are all scriptural things. The Bible talks about meditation all the time. Uh, meditation is not a new age term. It's in the book. It's in the book, man. And we are to, and all it is is you just think about it and imagine it and bring it to yourself. And uh, the enemy has tried to hijack that term, and you know, you got people doing it out in the new age, and they're doing weird stuff with it. But it's actually a powerful thing that God created to help uh, bring change into your life. And um, it, it's a powerful thing. So I want to bring that into the culture of our church. I want us to start doing that in, in a gathering type setting on a regular basis so that you can learn how to do this on your own. You know, it's not just about reading chapters, man. If you can just take a little bit of time and take maybe one scripture and just really get it down on the inside of you, it will bring greater strength to you than you necessarily reading 10 chapters or whatever. 
And, and the challenge with when you're trying to teach people how to have a relationship is this. We, I'm not asking any, because God wants to, you to have your own relationship with him. Can I get an amen? You're not supposed to have your relationship through somebody else. Uh, that's not the purpose of leadership or being a pastor. You have your own relationship with God. You hear God for you better than anybody else does. Can I get an amen? God's living on the inside of you. You're born again. Jesus is living on the inside of you. He wants to have a personal relationship with you. And so when you teach relationship, we have to be careful not to turn it into um, a formula or try to make it like what somebody else is doing because how I many of relationship is unique and it's going to be different for everybody? And you have to make room for people to have their own relationship. But at the same time, if we don't display it and maybe give you a, a little bit of uh, just teaching how to do it, then what happens is you'll learn a little bit and then you'll take it and the Spirit of God will teach you Himself, and he'll, ta- he'll teach you how to make it real to you. It's very important. But I think I, I love what He taught, and I, and I feel like it's, it's an important thing for us to embrace as a church, bring it into the culture of the church, because at the end of the day, what we want is a deeper relationship with the Lord, and we also want transformation. Now, here's the thing. Romans chapter 12 and verse 2, this is really important to understand, because... Let me just read this to you first. It says, And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good, acceptable, and perfect will of God. What you have to understand about transformation, listen to me, God's not trying to change you. You're not trying to change. That, 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 that just needs to be nailed to the wall right there. Because when you're trying... Now, if you're not saved, you need to get saved. That is the change. Okay? You, you receive Jesus as Lord and Savior, you become born again, and then that change happens because God puts His nature on the inside of you through His Son. But after you've been changed, now what you're called to do is to be transformed. And that's different than change. And, I, and I'll read it to you out of the actual Greek. The, word, the Greek word for the, for the word transform is the word meta, metamorpho, Strong's number 3339. And it means metamorphosis. This is extremely important. Changing form in keeping with inner reality. Change, that's what it literally says in the Greek. Changing form in keeping with inner reality. Because here's the thing. If you're trying to be something else, and you're trying to change, then you're miserable. Because you never feel like you're good enough or that's who you are. And the harder you try to change, the more you believe you are not who you actually are. See, metamorphosis is, how I many you know a caterpillar is a butterfly? But a caterpillar transforms or metamorphoses into a butterfly. Right? But... The caterpillar's not trying to be something it isn't, it, it already is not. It's not trying to be something different. It's not trying to be something new. If you've received Jesus as Lord and Savior, you're a son of God. You're a daughter of God. You are. You're not trying to be. You are. But what happens is, is as truth gets down in your heart, we see that metamorphosis to where. We're, we're seeing you step into your sonship. We're seeing you step into your daughtership. We're seeing you step into being a child of God to where all the greatness that's on the inside of you gets on the outside of you and your life changes. Your decisions change. Your path changes. The fruit of the Spirit changes. But you're not trying to change. That's so important. But you are being transformed. And there's a difference. Because if your goal is to try to change, and you're, I'm just trying to change, just trying to change, just trying to change, the harder you try to change, the less you believe you, you are who you really are. And a big part of transformation is rest. Is rest. Resting in who you already are. Amen. So... Yes, we want to be transformed. We don't want to try to become something we already are. I mean, that's what happened to Adam and Eve. They tried to become something they already were, and all of creation fell. The enemy tempted them and said, if you do this, you'll be like God. They were already like God. 
and in, in their attempt to become something they already were, they were in unbelief concerning who God had already made them. It's the truth. It's the truth. How many of you know that the enemy brought the same temptation to Jesus? He said, if you be the Son of God, turn these, turn these, these, these stones into bread. And Jesus said, I'm not performing for you. I'm not doing anything. I'm just going to be. And that's how he conquered the enemy. And there's a portion of your victory that is not in you trying to change. It's in you being who God has made you to be. And then when you believe it on a heart level and you enter into a place of rest, there's a transformation or a metamorphosis that happens into where you start to look like the butterfly. You start to walk like the butterfly. Talk about, come on, sons and daughters of God. Amen. How many of us the same for like a frog? How many of you know a frog is, you know, it's an egg, then it's a tadpole. But how many of you know tadpole is, it, it, it's not, it, it, it's a frog the whole time. But it, it's, it's a metamorphosis. So everything that God does in you is metamorphosis after you're saved. Now, when I was a drug addict, alcoholic, atheist, and I was 19 years old, and I was anti-God against God, and I was spiritually dead, I needed a change. The change happened when I said, Say, Lord, save me. And he went, bam! Old person died. I became a new person, but I was in tadpole form in my development. You follow me? Like I was. Like you could, I was not sanctified. Like, I mean, I was still, I had no understanding of really what the right thing to do was. Because I had no church background, none of that. So I was very rough around the edges, but I still had Christ. And, I, and I'm just, I have just as much Jesus now, 23 years later, as I had when I first got saved. But the metamorphosis process has happened, and now people are seeing more Jesus in me than what they used to. And, and we're all called to this transformation process. But the trick of the enemy is to try to get you to try really hard to change. Don't fall into that trap. If you try really hard to change, then that change is going to be the product of your strength and your self-effort. And whatever you change, you're going to have to maintain in your own strength. And when your strength fails, because it will, when you're tired, when you're hungry, when you're wore out, when you've been hit on every single side that you can be hit on, you, you may snap back into behavior that's not who you are. And you got to make sure you remember whose you are, who you are. Because most of the enemy's attack is to try to bring you amnesia concerning who you are. That's, that's why temptation comes. That's why sin comes knocking at the door. That's why failure comes. It's trying to convince you that you're something that you're not. But no, no, no. What Jesus has done in you is more powerful than your failure. And if you are in the kingdom and you've received Jesus as Lord and Savior, you're the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. You're a new creation in Christ. Old things have passed away. And we cannot allow a moment of failure to define who we are or even bring a blemish upon who God has made us to be. And so that's why the gospel comes to remind you who you are. 2 Corinthians chapter 3, we see how we are metamorphosed. It says, but we all, with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being metamorphosed, transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as by the Spirit of the Lord. So, you, how many of you know your Bible is your mirror? And how many of you know once you're born again, it shines to you Jesus? And as you behold Jesus, and you are taught that you are now in Jesus. I mean, that's what Adam was sharing during communion. I mean, that was powerful. That you are in Jesus, and Jesus is in you, and you now have His oneness. I mean, you know, Jesus has now become your identity. Your old identity is gone. It's dead. Crucified on the cross, the person you used to be. Now, you may have an echo of all those mistakes and the echo of who you are. There may be an echo of that in your mind, but that's not who you are anymore. You've literally been completely separated from that by something so powerful, it's called death. You died. 
Like the life you currently have ain't your life. It's His life. Amen. And then we're just trying to get our minds caught up with the reality of what's already happened in our spirits. And so as you are beholding who you are in the Scriptures, and you're seeing Jesus, and Jesus is shining to you, there is a transformation process. There's a metamorphosis process where you're from glory to glory to glory. You're starting to walk, talk, look, and act like Jesus would act. I'm talking about His character and His nature. You're never going to be Jesus. How many of you know Jesus is Jesus? Can I get an amen? you got to nail that to the ground real quick because people get weird. No, Jesus is the head. We are the body. He's the boss. He's the Lord. He's the king. We do what he says. You know what I'm saying? Like if we're smart, then periodically we don't do what he says. We do what we want to do. And we get jacked up and we run back to him. (laughs) And that's the part of being a child that's growing up, right? But that transformation process really, and going back to... Can I have the fan again? Going back to uh, writing that truth on your heart is, is, is you believing who you are. Because a lot, of, a lot of our problems here, folks, let's turn to Isaiah 61. A lot of our problems here is we don't know who we are. And we've been wounded in our hearts concerning our identity and our self-image. Here's the thing, everybody in this room, you perceive the world through the lens of your self-image. Everything you see, you see through the way you see yourself. If you think nobody, if you think you're not worthy of people liking you and you're not worthy of people loving you, that's the way you're going to see the world. And you're going to project a sense of rejection everywhere you go. Even though you're born again, even though you're a child of God, even though you're on your way to heaven, if you have a low sense of self-worth and you don't feel as good as other people, that's the way you're going to see the world. God wants to fix that in you. God wants to fix that in me. God wants to cleanse your self-image and let you see who you really are through His eyes. And He wants to bring it down to you on a heart level so that you can actually experience it in the life that you're in. But that's not going to happen without taking some time to really meditate, speak out, and bring the reality of those scriptures down into your heart so we can change the way you see you. All of of this walk with God is changing the way we see God. How many of y'all see God differently than you did maybe a couple years ago? Me too, man. Me too. And I'm still growing. And what I'm realizing is the best possible thing I can think of in my mind about how good God is, He's better than that. And it's a process of renewing your mind to His goodness. Everybody tracking me here? Now, in the midst of God revealing His goodness, He doesn't, re- he doesn't get rid of His justice. He doesn't get rid of the concepts of right and wrong. I mean, oh, God knows what's right and God knows what's wrong. And He tells us what it is. So God is a just and holy God. He's not going to water down His standard of what He knows to be life. He's not going to water that down. But in the midst, so we're never going to lose the justice of God. We're never going to lose um, the concepts of right or wrong. But what we come to find out is that our God loves us and delights in us. And He's awesome. He's, I mean, like, and, and so you're in the process of renewing your mind. Because how many know religion will make God mean? Religion will make God unattractive. Religion will, will mar the image of God. And you've got to clean that image up with the Scriptures to find out that God loves you. Listen, everybody in this room, you like being around people that like you. You like being around somebody that loves you. The enemy's worked over trying to try to convince you to make you think God don't like you. And I'm here to tell you right now, it's not true. He likes you. He loves you. He wants to be here. He's delighted to see you. And man, when you can get that, and that's where we're going. When you can get that down in your heart that God delights in you, it will change every dynamic of your relationship with God because you'll always run to Him. 
Because you won't run from him because you realize he's not mad at you. 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 He's not disappointed in you. He's like, I see the end from the beginning. You're mine. I'm never letting go of you. I'm holding on to you so strong, I brought you into myself. You are one with me. He would have to reject himself to reject you. Once you're in Christ, these are realities. There's powerful things that have been done to us. Eternal things that have been done to us. Like, and, and so, and, but we have to stop thinking God's disappointed in us and we're a failure in His eyes. Because the challenge is, is when you've experienced rejection like most of us have experienced, most of the time we haven't been good enough for other people. Most of the time we've messed things up. Because you've never had a relationship like this. Come on, with the Lord. This is an unconditional love. And it's hard for the human mind to wrap its head around unconditional love because most of us have never experienced an unconditional love before. And so we're always just waiting for the shoe to drop. We're always just waiting to be rejected. We're always just waiting for when I finally mess it up so much that, you know, and, and you know, maybe we've renewed our mind to the point we know God's not going to reject us, but we're just not invited at the cool kids' table. You know, we got to sit in the back. We're still in the room, but we're in the back. And, and, and all of that is lies. It's time for you to move past the back, walk to the front, and take your seat at God's table. And, and, and stop thinking that you're not worthy of it. Because He made you worthy. Because He made you worthy. Because He made you worthy. The blood has cleansed you. Boldness. 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 Take what's yours. Put your shoulders back. Don't let this world convince you that you're not good enough or you're not worthy. Man, all creation is groaning and travailing, waiting for us to wake up to this reality. Waiting to see the liberty, the glorious liberty of the children of God. All creation just waiting. When will they wake up to the fact they're sons and daughters of God? When will they take the rightful place? Right? And, and so, we're healing our hearts. And the way you heal your heart is with truth. Truth heals you. Because God shows you what He really thinks about you. And He's got to keep telling you and telling you and telling you and telling you because most of us are like abused animals. Scared, in the back. You know, not even ready to trust love. Ready to, to attack against love when it comes because we don't trust it. And so, he, and so he's, but he's healing us. He's healing us. In Isaiah 61 and verse 1, it says, The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to preach the, God, to preach the good tidings to the poor. He sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to, to proclaim liberty to the captives in the opening of prison to those that are bound. Folks, there's no greater prison than, than a sense of your own unworthiness. Because, man, you can, you can have... It's a greater prison than having bars around you. Because it's a prison that you carry with you wherever you go. <clears throat> of I'm not as good as other people. I'm not worthy. All these types of things. And the world system would try to get you to work to present your worth. Well, it's got to make more money. Well, it's got to be smarter. Well, it's got to be skinnier. Got to be prettier. Got to be stronger. Got to be, got to be, got to be, got to be, got to be. Jump off that hamster wheel, man. That is not where self-worth comes from. And I mean, in Christianity, it can be the same way. Got to be holier. Got to try harder. Got to be more anointed. Got to fast more. Got to pray more. Got to, got to, got to, got to, got to. The more you try to change, the less you believe who you are. The more you try to change, the less you believe who you are. You are not trying to earn worth. You're not trying to earn value. God wants to bring a healing to your heart. He loves you. Gosh, He loves you. <clears throat> he just wants to love you. That's all He wants. He just wants to love you. And He wants to heal that place on the inside of you. But it's going to take time with truth in an intimate place of the heart. 
to really get this thing finished on the inside of you. Because what we want to do, we don't just want to fill your, your head with knowledge. We want to change the way you feel about yourself. I know that word feeling is like some type of taboo word in the church, but your soul is comprised of emotions. And God wants to heal your emotions. Now, I'm not saying that your emotions are perfect indicators of truth, because how many times, sometimes you feel it, sometimes you don't. I mean, your emotions are up and down. But a healed heart will produce good emotions. God wants you to feel worthy. God wants you to feel righteous. God wants you to feel accepted. Now, I'm not saying you're going to click your emotions into place and you're never going to have contrary feelings again. But if you're feeling, if you feel unworthy, if you feel afraid, if you feel uh, like God's mad at you and you feel like God's against you, let those feelings be an indicator to you that you have a wounded heart that needs to be healed. And when you can get truth on a deeper level in your heart, it'll change the way you feel. It's awesome. And it's worth whatever time it takes to get there. Everybody tracking me with that? But it's going to take a little, it's going to take a, a pursuit of intimacy. See, I'm married. Period. That's a fact. But my wife and I, we pursue each other. Because the world is busy. And if we don't pursue each other, then we're not going to have intimacy with each other. And like the, it seems like the more kids we have, the harder it is to make. So we, we make time. And so, and I understand the work is finished. How many of the work's finished? But how many of a relationship is a decision of spending time together? And so God loves you whether you come to church on Sunday or not. God loves you whether you spend time with Him or not. But you're going to find out who you are in His loving embrace. And you might have to shut your phone off. You might have to shut you know, the TV off. You might have to shut some distractions off and make a decision that I'm going to let Jesus love me. And I'm going to take some of this truth and I'm going to bring it down on the inside of me because I've got some places in me that are twisted and hurt and broken and they need fixed. And we don't want a quick fix. We don't want a Band-Aid. We want an untwisting of self-image to where you can really start to see yourself the way God sees you. Everybody tracking me here? Amen. And so it says, to heal the brokenhearted, opening, the, to proclaim liberty to the captives, to only imprison those that are bound. And if you go down to verse 7, it says, instead of shame, you shall have double honor. Hallelujah. See, shame is the feeling of not being worthy. Shame is the feeling of worthlessness. And God wants to take those places that you were ashamed of and He wants to restore double honor. And that word honor means value, value, weight, worthiness. Everybody tracking me here? Amen. Now in Genesis chapter 1, I want to bring out just a reality here. Genesis chapter 1 and verse 27, it says, So God created man in His own image, in the image of God He created him. Male and female, he created them. So here's the thing. I don't think we ever lost value in the eyes of God. Because, and I'm talking about every human being on this planet. I'm not just talking about people that are saved. Every human being has value in the eyes of God. Because they're created in the image of God. God doesn't value the good people and not value the not good people. Yeah, I was preaching in the, in the schools last Tuesday, and I love opening my Bible in that school and preaching the gospel out of it. I tell you what, it's one of the funnest things that I do. And I was talking about, because I, I share, I do this Comic-Con club with the kids, and I present Jesus as a superhero. And I was talking about the power of eternal life. I mean, is there a greater power than immortality? You know what I'm saying? You know, Hollywood is cranking out superheroes dime by the dozen, but how many others really just one hero? And, and our hero gives eternal life. And so I started laying it out. 
And it's amazing how legalism creeps in. in the mind. And these are like, most of these kids are like unchurched. These are like kids that just don't know anything about God. And, and you know, I was talking about it, and the kid was like, yep, the good people go to heaven and the bad people don't. That's what everybody thinks. I mean, it's not true. It's not true. God did not come to make bad people good. God came to make dead people alive. All people have value. Every single sinner on earth has value in the eyes of God. But without Jesus, they're dead. And they need life. And so he gives life to them. And then the life changes them. And turns them into what he intended. Not a twisted uh, replica of what he had. And so God, the fall of man did not cause man to lose value. How you know, Jeremiah? Because God broke himself and poured himself out on the ground to bring us back. You don't do that for things that are unvaluable. No, no. He said, I, I value you. Let me show you how much I value. This is your worth. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pour my blood on the ground for you. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pay for you. And so we haven't lost value. But the enemy, most of the enemy's attack is trying to devalue humanity. How many of y'all, the, the thought process that says abortion is okay is a, is a concept of devaluing humanity? How many of you know evolution is a concept of devaluing humanity? Well, we're just animals. You know, just, we, you know we're, just a high, we're just a hairless monkey, whatever. How many of you know all of, the, all of those thought processes are an attempt to devalue man? Because here's the thing. When you don't have a sense of value and self-worth, you will not have morality. Because you don't care about yourself, and you also don't care about anybody else because you don't care about yourself. And the current moral state of the world that we're currently seeing is an issue of man not valuing himself. The enemy is always trying to bring in a sense of devalue. And, and, uh, but God has placed value on us. In, in Psalms uh, chapter 8, and, and we'll look at this in Hebrews as well, but this is God's talking about man. And, and I believe that a thought process has been captured here that came from the enemy. I don't know why the angels fell. I don't know why there was a, you know, I don't know why there was this discord between the angels and God. I don't know that. I don't know why, okay? But I think it may have had something to do with the value that God placed upon us and some of the angels being like, I ain't serving those weak little bags of flesh. And, and, I, and this isn't conjecture, but, but Satan don't like us. And he certainly didn't want to serve us. And the Bible makes it clear that the angels are, are servants of the heirs of salvation. But angels are stronger than us. They're mightier than us. They're powerful beings. They've lived for God only knows how long. But God has chosen the, these weak little creatures and said, these are the ones I'm going to make myself one with. And I feel like everyone was like, what's God doing? Why would he choose these people? What is man that you are mindful of him? And, and so we, it's recorded here in Psalms chapter 8 and verse 3. It says, when I consider your heavens and the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have ordained, what is man that you are mindful of him? Think just a moment about the universe and how big it is and how there's all these planets and stars and supernovas and black holes and amazing things. And then, and then the thought process here is what is this little bag of flesh that's so weak you can just break it, just barely. It's, what is man that you are mindful of him and the son of man that you visit him. Attack against the value of God's kids. The enemy does not see value in us. He hates us. And he wants us to hate ourselves. And God wants you to stop hating yourself. And to see yourself the way he sees you and to bring a sense of value to you. Because when you know your worth, you're going to live different. You're going to walk different. You're going to treat other people different. 
You can't love people till you love yourself properly. And so then he makes this amazing statement. He said, you've made him a little lower than the angels. And that word angels is a poorly translated word. It's the word Elohim in the Greek. And that's the word that's used for God. You made him a little lower than God. And you crowned him with glory and honor. And you made him to have dominion over the works of your hands. And you put all things under his feet. I mean, what God did in Adam was astonishing. God said, I'm, I'm going to rule heaven, you rule earth. You name the animals. You have dominion. And see, the, you, know, you know why Adam had dominion? Adam knew his worth and his value. He didn't scream at the animals to control them. He spoke out of his sonship and everything obeyed him because he didn't doubt who he was. He knew who he was. God's bringing that back to us. It says, you put all things under his feet, all sheep and oxen, even the beasts of the field, the birds of the air, the fish of the sea that pass through the paths of the sea. Value. And then Hebrews chapter 2, this, 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 this passage is quoted in verse 6. And it says, but one testified in a certain place. He's like, somebody said this. What is man that you are mindful of him, or the son of man that you take care of him? You made him a little lower than the angels, and you crowned him with glory and honor, and set him over the works of your hands. Man, you got to take a closer look at what that word glory means. That word glory, see, when we think glory, a lot of times we think, yeah, visible light. And because, and, and, you know, when the glory of God came down, sometimes it was just poof, visible light, majesty, glowing, right? But what you have to understand, that's not what the word means. That's what it produces, but it's not what the word means. You hear what the word means? Doxa. Exercising personal opinion, which determines value. Exercising personal opinion, which determines value. God crowns you with a good opinion of you, saying that you had value. And, and what Thayer's Greek lexicon says, it says, literally means what evokes good opinion that, that something has inherent intrinsic worth. So what glory means is a good opinion of you. God crowns you with a good opinion of you. Everyone like being around someone who likes you? Praise God for people that like us, Amen. You're like, what's up? How you doing? I'm doing good. Praise God. Let's hang out. We like each other, right? But here's the thing. Thank God for the people that like us. But here's the thing. Like, God likes you. And he's crowned you with a good opinion of you. And when he sees you, he's like, those are my kids. That's my daughter. That's my son. What is he, what is he bestowing upon you? Value. Value. So when we devalue ourselves, we are disagreeing with God. When we judge ourselves as unworthy, we are disagreeing with God. God wants to restore a sense of value to His kids. Here's the thing. When your sense of value is restored, you'll stop competing against other people to gain value. I mean, on Christianity, there's way too much competition. And the reason there's competition is people don't understand their own worth. When you understand your worth, you stop playing all them games. You don't got, you don't got to compete against nobody because you already got God's good opinion. Amen. And He'll set you free from that carnal, fleshly competition of who's whatever. Everybody tracking me here? When you, it brings a sense of, of rest into your life. You know, with my kids, I want to I bestow a sense of value and worth into my children. I don't want them competing against each other for who's the favorite child. There's no favorite child in the home. There will never be a favorite child in the home. All the children are favorites because they don't have a, a greater sense of worth than the other child does. Everybody tracking me here? And, and I mean, you know, that creates a healthy family environment. But when we're competing for love and worth and value, we can't be family. 
We've got to be competitors. I mean, there's too much competition in the body of Christ. I, I, I'm astonished at how insecure pastors are. God love them. Pastors are some of the most insecure people on earth. They are, man. And as a result of that, they are, God love them because they're always trying to prove their worth. They're always trying to prove their value. And so then they project that on the people that are around them. And then the house of God, instead of it being a family atmosphere where everybody's equal in love, it's, it's this competition thing. And it's, not, it's just not it. So God has crowned you with glory, right? He's, he has a good opinion of you, right? And then the next word, it says glory and honor. And that word honor is the word time in the Greek. And it means, uh, it means accord, honor, pay respect, properly perceive value or worth. Value in the eyes of the beholder. Weight, honor, right? And so God's opinion of you is good. But God wants your opinion of you to line up with His opinion of you. Everybody tracking me here? And then Philemon 1.6, and this is a verse we've been to quite a bit. Um, it says, Philemon 1.6, says, is the communication of your faith may become effective by the acknowledgement of every good thing which is in you in Christ Jesus. Your faith becomes effective as you acknowledge the good that is in you in Christ Jesus. The good that is in you in Christ Jesus. When you believe you are good because God has made you good, it makes your faith effective. When you believe that you are bad because you're looking at you, your faith becomes ineffective because you become self-conscious. Self-consciousness does not promote faith. Self-consciousness does not promote love. Everybody tracking me here? We're not staring at ourselves, trying to determine whether we have value or worth. Right? Jesus is always trying to get your eyes off of you and get your eyes back onto Him because your life is found in Him. Your value is found in Him. Your identity is found in Him. Amen? And that's the transformation process. We behold Him. Amen? That your faith may become effective through the acknowledging of every good thing which is in you in Christ Jesus. And then Hebrews chapter 5. And, and a part of maturity, and we talk, we've talked about this a lot in times past, but um, a part of becoming skilled in righteousness is actually how you grow up. Skilled in righteousness. And how many know I'm talking about the righteousness, which is of faith? How many know if you receive Jesus as Lord and Savior in this place right now, you are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. God has given you His gift of righteousness. So you must get skilled in that and understanding that you are right with God because you are joined to the Lord by one Spirit through Jesus Christ. Can I get an amen? You know, I'm not going to look at my pinky like, well, that unworthy pinky. That pinky's not, this, this pinky ain't Jeremiah Johnson. What's wrong with this thing, man? Unworthy pinky. I mean, you know, if, if I am discerning a part of who I am as evil, I'm not seeing clearly and I'm not seeing who I am. And so maturity, becoming skilled in righteousness, listen to me, we're going to look at it, is the ability to discern between good and evil. A part of growing up, a part of becoming spiritually mature, is the ability to discern between good and evil. Let me read it to you. Hebrews chapter 5, verse 12, it says, For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the first principles of the oracles of God, and have come to need milk and not solid food. For everyone who partakes only of milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness, for he is a babe. If you do not understand that your rightness with God is by faith in Jesus Christ, you can't grow up. Because the enemy will always condemn you out of faith because he'll always convince you that you're not worthy. You don't make yourself worthy. You don't keep yourself as worthy. How I many you know when you receive Jesus as Lord and Savior, you were dead and now you're alive and now you're right with God and that rightness with God is not going to be taken away from you because that rightness is not an action. It's not church attendance. It's not Bible reading. You have now stepped into Christ. Your rightness is a person. You have a new nature. Can I get an amen? That's how you grow up. You can't grow up outside of that. People be in church for 30, 40, 50 years but not know that they're right with God by faith. Those people don't grow up. Those people are always trying to to take the filthy rags of their own self-righteousness and clean themselves up, and they never feel good enough, they never feel worthy. So they spend all their days competing against everybody else. And, and, we, we, and all that is just carnality. There's no growth or maturity 
without becoming skilled in righteousness and knowing that Jesus is your righteousness and not something that you do. But when you become skilled in righteousness, what ends up happening is, is your senses are enlightened to discern between good and evil. Look at it. But solid food belongs to those who are full age, that is who, those who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. Maturity will give you the ability to discern between good and evil. You'll be able to see what's good and what's evil. When you look at you, you discern that you are good. That's maturity. When sin comes knocking on the door and temptation comes knocking on the door, you discern and realize that's not you. Come on, guys. That's not you. That's the flesh. That's the carnal mind. But that's not you. So when sin comes, when temptation comes, <clears throat> it's you, a good God, and a good son or daughter united together against what's trying to creep into your life through your flesh. Because if you think that temptation has come into your life, that knocking of the door, that mistake that you make, if you discern and think that's you, you'll enter into condemnation, you'll lose a sense of self-worth in your eyes, and you'll think that it's God against you. When in fact, God's actually for you, trying to pull you out of that temptation. And if you take the bait and you fall into it, God's still trying to pull you out of the ditch, saying that's not who you are. Everybody tracking me here? And so like, that is maturity. You must discern and see that you are good. You're good. God has made you good. You're a good person. Yes. And, 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 and as you understand that, it's going to actually set you free from temptation and sin and mistakes and all that carnality because you stop identifying with that old person and you now identify with who you are in Christ. That's how I got set free from drugs. I could never get set free from my own willpower, but I started to realize I wasn't a drug addict. I started realizing I wasn't a drug addict before I stopped doing drugs. I was doing drugs as a child of God. Yes. And I had to realize that I, that's not who I was. And as I began to awake to who I was, I stopped wanting that stuff. It's a truth. Like, it's how you get free. And it might not be drugs. It might be something else. It might be anger. It might be fear. It might be worry. Um, it might be control. It might be, you know, eating disorder. It might be um, pornography. It might be lust. It might be, you know, whatever. Whatever. All the yuck that's out there. Though That's not who you are. None of those things define you. And when you can start to discern and see who you are and that you are good, you'll walk away from some of that stuff and be like, Psh, that's not my life. This is my life because I'm good. But as long as you are identifying with bad, then that's exactly what you're going to do. As long, I mean, what you believe about yourself is what you're going to walk out. And that's why God is looking to bring a deliverance into your life that's on a heart level. God wants to change the way you see yourself. Amen? Thank you, God. I'm trying to see if we have enough time to go where we're going. Uh, Psalm 18. We start to close right here. So, God, we want to, we want to change the way you see God seeing you. And there's something that some people got a hold of in Scripture that gave them the ability to slay giants, conquer kingdoms, overcome temptation, fulfill the call of God on their life. And there's, and there, and there's a few people that got a hold of this in the Old Testament. And God wants to bring it into your life. In Psalm 18 and verse 19, this is David talking. And he says, He delivered me 
Because he delighted in me. Anybody in here ever had somebody delight over you? And let me give you a great example. And this is why we love animals. How many of your dog delights over you? That's the greatest example I can think of delight. How many know when you see your dog, your dog is like heaven is here. You know what I'm saying? Like, because when you're, when you're, because I mean, you know, animals, and that's one of the reasons I think God gave us animals, man, to help us to understand these types of things. But you can, like, you can not see your dog for like 10 or 15 minutes and then come back in and your dog, just like, they're here, they're here, they're here. No one's excited to see you as your dog is. You know? When I go home today, my kids are going to be happy to see me. My wife's going to be happy. They're not here today. Eli woke up some gunk in his eye. We don't want to try to pass that on. But when I see them, they're going to be happy to see me. But, like, they're probably not going to be as happy to see I mean, they are. But my dog is, and I don't even, I barely even like my dog. <laughs> my dog has cost me thousands of dollars. And I hate saying that. People are like, oh, Jeremiah doesn't like his dog. I, I mean, I, Jesus' name, man. Praise God. He's getting better. But. But when he sees me, he's going to be happy to see me. So, <laughs> and I'm happy to see him too in Jesus' name. Amen. Praise God. And this is where the metaphor fails, you know. <laughs> it's like, that's right. But I just want, to, want you to take just a moment and think, I'm not talking about somebody just liking you. I'm not talking about someone just tolerating you in a loving manner. I'm talking about somebody who's delighted to see you. I mean, when someone's delighted to see you, they're excited. They're full of joy. I mean, you can see delight on somebody's face. They're like, oh, you're here. That's how God feels about you. God is delighted in you. David got a hold of this. David said he delivered me because he delighted in me. David understood God liked him, delighted in him, and loved him. And his name means the beloved of the Lord. David had an understanding of the way God felt about him. And how many know that that power enabled him to kill Goliath? He's like, everybody's scared of Goliath. He's like, I'm not. Everybody's afraid. Everybody's running. He's like, no. He's like, God likes me. God loves me. God delights in me. Me and God are going to conquer this giant together. I mean, David knew he wasn't strong enough to beat the giant. But he knew that as long as God was on his team, he could beat the giant. He could beat the bear. He could beat the lion. He could beat anything. And how I many David had times in his life where nobody liked him? He did. David, David had a moment before he ascended to the throne where everybody wanted to kill him. Everybody wanted to kill him. All his homies, all his friends, all the people he was hanging out with, everybody said, we're killing David. Today we're killing him. And David stood alone. But David knew the Lord liked him. And David knew the Lord delighted in him. And so David said, I'm going to go spend time with the person who wants to be around me. I'm going to spend time with the person who delights in me. And he went and he spent time with the Lord. And the Lord, the Lord as a father is loving on him, big smile and say, come on, David, come on, jump into my arms. Let me make you strong with my approval. Let me love you like nobody can love you because I know you like nobody's ever known you. And I don't care what kind of mistakes you're going to make. I've chosen you. You're mine. And I will love you. And he made him strong. And he went back out to everybody that wanted to kill him. And he said, look, y'all, this is what we're doing. We're going to go win. And that's what they did. They went and they won. And they took back everything the enemy stole from them. And that was a turning point in David's life. He just grew and grew and grew and grew in success from that point on, from Ziglag. Ziglag is the time when it happened. But it was the Lord's delight. He said that he delivered me because he delighted in me. David knew he was attractive to God. He knew that God just wanted to be around. He was the apple of God's eye. But and here's the thing, David knew that it was not anything in himself that made God attracted to him. David find out God was good. In a land full of people who didn't think God was good, David's like, God's good. 
He, he, his eyes got so open to it, like he's like, Lord, I know you don't delight in the sacrifice of these animals. He's like, I know that this is not... He, he, he prophetically pushed past the covenant that Israel was under and by faith starts stepping into what was given to you in Jesus Christ. The righteousness of faith was revealed to David. He would write about, Blessed is the man to whom the Lord will not impute sin. Blessed is the man to whom the Lord will not impute sin. Blessed is the man to whom the Lord will not hold sin against. Blessed is this man. He's like, I'm seeing something in God, guys. And like He's good and He loves us. And He conquered. Nobody could stop Him. His own failure couldn't stop Him. Because when you get a hold of the fact that God delights in you, you can't stay down. You cannot stay down. You fall, you try to stay down, and God will come over to you whispering to you, hey, time to get up, come on, let's go. Come on. I delight in you. You got this. We got this. And yeah, did you have something? Oh, is it crazy? Thank you. I need all the help I can get. Yeah, man. That's right. That's right. That's right. Come on. We have in reality what he hoped for. Because we are now in Christ. Did that fix it? Obey. Go ahead. <laughs> good man it's good it's a mind renewal for 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 us to realize <clears throat> that he delights in us what if you got that on a heart level what if you on a heart level would wake up in the morning knowing that god delighted in you see and another group of people that got a hold of this i mean you know, there were 12 spies that were going into the land right 12 spies were going into the promised land and ten spies believed the lamb was too strong for them. And two guys believed the Lord delighted in them. Numbers 14 and verse 8, it says, If the Lord delights in us, then he will bring us into this land and give it to us, a land which flows with milk and honey. How many of Joshua and Caleb knew that the Lord delighted in them? They, see, when you understand the Lord delights in you, you don't have to be stronger than your giants. See, listen to me. Your mistakes don't cause God to stop delighting in you. Your mistakes may cause you to stop delighting in you. But your mistakes don't cause God to stop delighting in you. And if you can discern between good and evil, and discern that you are good and you have value, then... You won't lose the fact that you are to delight in you because God delights in you. Everybody tracking me here? So we need to wipe this angry face off of God and replace it with truth. Your father is happy. And he loves you. And he is not disappointed in you. If you can get that down inside of you, it will change everything in your life. You will have the ability to slay giants. You will have the ability to overcome. And it's never going to be taken away from you. I mean, Jesus began his earthly ministry with this. This is my beloved son in whom I delight. Well pleased. Before he did one miracle, before he did one act, he began with the Lord's delight. We have that same delight. And, and, th- and I'm just rolling through these because we're done, but like, and we'll, we'll revisit this probably next week and we'll go deeper into this. But 
when the father, when the prodigal son came home? Did the father just tell him, go sit outside? Go wash the pit? Go wash the stench of sin off of your body? Go, 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 go cleanse yourself, you dirty, rotten sinner? I mean, he did not do any of those things. He watched for him, and when he finally saw him, he fell upon him and could not stop kissing him. Lavished him with affection. He delighted in him. He didn't just love him or like him. He delighted in him. The Father delights in you. He 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 delights in you. That's what we're going to do. We're going to shut off the live stream. All that stuff, please. And we're going to play. We're going to take just a few, few minutes here. We're going to practice writing this on our hearts. It's only going to take maybe 10 minutes to do this. If you've got to go, then just go. It's cool. But be at peace. Grab a cookie on your way out. We all got plans and stuff like that. But I want us to start as a church coming to this place to where we are 